G'day wankers, welcome to another Guitar Wank podcast. Thank you for joining us. I am your host, Troy McCubbin. Uh, you have no say in it. How are you? Are you hanging in? Can shit be more crazier? Apparently not. It's just getting crazier every day, so uh, we'll just keep our level of crazy the same here. Guitar Wank episode 219. We are up to, uh, yeah, episode 219. Interesting stuff. So uh, we have the amazing Miss Jennifer Batten on the show tonight. Miss Jennifer Batten, who we all know and love. Michael Jackson, Jeff Beck, amongst many others. I've been waiting to get Jen on for a long time. Thank you, Jen. Awesome that you were able to make it. We had to get a pandemic to make it happen, but at least it happened. Anyway, so uh, make sure you check out the new website, guitarwank.com. Uh, still waiting on the merch to get all sorted out. We'll get that up to you as soon as possible. Also, you can go to patreon.com slash guitarwank.com and basically get extra lessons off Bruce, Guitar Wank Minutes. I think we're up to number nine, nine or ten, Guitar Wank Minutes. So um, you can check that out. And uh, yeah, within a minute, you can learn something cool. Don't get uh, bombarded with too much information, but you get an amazing lesson. So they're definitely worth it. Everyone's loving those. So you can go to the website, guitarwank.com, click on the link for Patreon, and that'll take you there and sort you all out there. Uh, What else is news? Bruce has got Grumps TV live at 5 Wednesday and Saturdays, I believe. So uh, you can check that out. Um, What else? Wyatt? Anything else? Can you think of anything else? Nah, he can't think of anything else. Uh, also, we got, well, Bruce is doing his uh, Instagram choruses every day, so check that out. Give him a shout out. But let's sit back and relax and uh, hang with Miss Jennifer Batten and Bruce and Scott. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Thanks, Jen. I really appreciate it. And we're going to post a bunch of stuff that Jen is getting up and running and promoting and pushing and helping and all the fun stuff she's doing. So uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy episode 219. We're going to kick off with a track, I believe, from Jen. This is called Inner Journey. <laughs> I thought this one was fun. Um, And the backstory to this track will be more prominent in the episode. You'll understand. You'll be like, what the... But uh, it all makes sense later. And then we have the next two tracks are Jen's versions of Giant Steps. Her tapping away, tapping a solo through Giant Steps. Fun, cool stuff. And then there's a rock version at the end. So anyway, lots of interesting stuff today, ladies and gentlemen. Sit back. Relax, be safe out there, stay healthy, and uh, all that fun stuff. All right, we'll uh, talk to you guys really soon. Happy guitar wanking.
He's on time. Yes, Gaddy! Uh, you there? What? Yeah. What are you, what? Are you throwing that microphone? What the hell? You know? Let me in there, you bitches. <laughs> I'm about I'm a I'm about to bring in um um Jennifer. Jeff. Yeah. Hey, Troy, are you getting okay sound off this mic? Because I'm not using my laptop tonight. My laptop's backing up shit right now. I need it. I need so, it. I need it more you, on the is, more is on the grill. Okay? More on the grill of the cabinet. Uh, <laughs> what's that? Right? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah it's great, get, man. Get, it, get a little closer to the paper. <laughs> <laughs> no, is that okay, really? Because usually I'm using my laptop, but it, it's all right. Yeah, it's beautiful. Oh, you guys. Code, man. Oh, yeah, okay, over here. <laughs> I'm bringing in Jen. Okay, bring her on in here. We're bringing her in. Here she comes. Here comes Jen. Woohoo! Where is she? Where's Jen? She's coming in. Whoa! Oh, hey. my goodness. <laughs> Look at them gears. Fuck, I can't see anything. Oh, well, you, you'll be glad in a second. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Jennifer Batten, this is awesome. It's been a long time coming. Right? I was just trying to catch up on the wank. Oh. <laughs> uh -huh. No, stop now. Save yourself. Don't. You, there's no need for it. <laughs> <laughs> no time for a quick wank. <laughs> Introduce our guest here, Troy. You do it, you know. We're working on our time thing here. Inter introduce well, our guest so we can begin. We, we're going to begin. We're going to jump straight in because one of us, one of us, out of us four people are professional, and we know it's not us three. So, um, <laughs> definitely isn't us. <laughs> well, Guitar Wank listeners, welcome to it. Uh, I'm super excited. I don't know. 
Jen, I've been such a huge fan of yours for such oh. a long time and um, I'm smitten with you, love. I think you're awesome and I think you're just a, a fun, awesome, amazing person. And I've been bugging yeah. Scott and Bruce, or Scott, because I know you guys are friends, for ages and I'm so – we had to get a pandemic before we could get you on, but I'm glad we got the pandemic and we got Miss Jennifer Batten. Woohoo! Woohoo! And thank you. Good night. That was awesome. <laughs> Jennifer, we tell, I'll tell you the same thing we tell every guest. You'll never work again after you've been on our show. So just. Well, just you know you what? Know. I'm not working now, so it ain't going to be any different. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah, we're working as much as everybody, right? Right, yeah. Oh my. How are you feeling, Bruce? You better? Yeah, I, I think I'm better. I don't know. I mean, nothing fell off, you know what I mean? <laughs> okay. You look I mean, good. What, what is, is every, does every, every time you feel bad, you have to have coronavirus? Is that the new thing? <laughs> I think so. You know, it can't, you be, good. It can't be a hangover. Your, your face is a good color. Well, you know, I can't. I, I can turn on a light, but it's going to get really funny looking because I'm going to feel like I'm a French fry at McDonald's. I don't know. <laughs> now you look good. You look good. Don't mess look, with it. You look good. Yeah, Jennifer, he was feeling under the weather. Yeah, uh, you, you know, know like, general malaise. It could have been something I ate. It's probably it's syphilis again. Malaise, you know, <laughs> just I've I told hate you when that happens. <laughs> stay away from those chicks down on Skid Row, man. I've been telling you for so long. I'm wearing a mask for this, just in case to keep you guys safe. Okay. That that that. Okay, okay, you mother stickers. This is a fuck up. <laughs> so, oh, oh, no. oh, puppy dog. Oh, how cutester. Right. Yeah, I I like that mini me dog we had the other oh, week, man. Cute. This is a real dog. I, I worked uh, for Cirque du Soleil in Vegas for six months, and so I thought, what a great time to get a new puppy because I'm not flying anywhere. And, of course, he had to be named Elvis. Of oh, course. Because it was there. <laughs> Vegas. Vegas, yeah. baby. Wow. He's a little codependent. Which show, Jennifer? Which one? Zumanity, the sex oh, show. I've never seen that one. I want to see that one. It's really changed since I was in it. I, uh, God, I was in it eight years ago. But man, I don't I don't know if Cirque is going to survive this, honestly. Oh, that's what I heard. I heard that they're having a hard time. I'm a big fan. I've I've seen Beatles Love 3 times. I've oh, seen yeah. O twice. I've seen Ka twice. I've oh, seen yeah. Kuza. I have seen so many of them. I I, I just I love Cirque du Soleil so much. I I yeah. did too until I did 10 shows a week. <laughs> that would change things. <laughs> wow. I was so over it by the <laughs> yeah. end. You know, it was yeah. a really great band. In the first three months, I thought, man, maybe this is what I'll do, like my retirement. I'll move to Vegas and do these kind of shows. The last three months, I was gnawing off my arm to get out of town. Yeah. Wow. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was, you know, the, the thing about being a musician in Cirque is I, I felt like I could have played ACDC in the middle of stuff and nobody would notice because uh -huh. you're so isolated right, on right, in-ears. Right. And right. where I was, I couldn't even see the bass and drums. You know, it's just a very strange vibe. Yeah, I've I've seen some of those. Uh, 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 some friends of mine have been in bands, and they've showed me the the booths that everybody plays in, and yeah. it is really isolated away from your other fellow musicians. So that must be weird. Were you? Did yeah. did, did yeah. you get to be a vocal point of the show, or were you all hidden? You know what? Well, you know what? I, I was subbing for somebody, so I didn't have a costume for the first month or so. 
And the first time I did have a costume and they had me go on stage, it was during this Chippendales kind of thing. <laughs> and I played a solo, maybe 16 bars, and nobody even knew I was there because I was not the focal point. You know, the last few bars, yeah. I see people look over and go, oh, and then I'm walking off. <laughs> yeah. My friend, I have a friend in Vegas who, who did the whole uh, run of Jersey Boys. Right. Yeah. And he was in it from the beginning, like I think 12 years or something like that. Wow. And he had a, and he had a, he had a spot where he came on stage and played for like about, I don't know, a minute. And that's like, it was so funny because, you know, after all that time on the show, he gets to be on stage for a minute a night. <laughs> Crazy. You know, I, I think the only reason that they didn't just use playback is because when the acrobats do their thing, they don't always land on one. Oh, and, so, okay. and so there has to be a musical director watching what they're doing and every once in a while he would add beats oh wow damn yeah it's a really <laughs> intense job whoa <clears throat> were you like, and you were, oh it is the circus you were doing yeah that. circus <laughs> you were jen you were, you were reading throughout that whole gig or was that no i memorized it memorized it yep 90 minute show wow do and, most of the guys memorize it or do they oh, yeah. read they well, you do it, it ten times a week. You get it pretty. Yeah, quick. I guess so. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> was it yeah. was it a good paying gig? Something like that. It was pretty decent. I mean, it was a hell of a long way from Michael Jackson, but most things were. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I have a bunch yeah. of questions to ask you about that because I've heard stories and I want to find out if they're true. So, um, <laughs> not about his sexual stuff i don't know <laughs> not a guilty or innocent thing i other stuff more music related stuff yeah but um um but anyway i just l let me start like the first time we met um you came to mi right Wh what year did you come to mi uh let's see i yeah 78 graduated 79 and i went back to san diego for a, a few years i moved back up in 84 84. I remember, yeah. I so remember. Came, I was there since 80. So okay. I was teaching there since 81. So when you came in 84, I was already a teacher there. And that's that's when we met and kind of hung out. You know? Yeah. So, and yeah. You were the reason I, I got in there to teach because you went on the road and then needed somebody. Uh huh. Cool. Uh, well, they got somebody better than me. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. Awesome. Now, so, so, how long were you at MI before you first got your like first good gig, like big gig? Was that Michael Jackson, or was there yeah. other gigs before that? Oh, I went from playing no name bands on Sunset with you know two other bands a night, straight to the top. Yes. Wow. <laughs> See, we had to sleep our way to the top <laughs> gradually. <laughs> you you, you, I, I you just my went way to boom. The Right I'm, there. I'm doing the opposite. I'm sleeping my way to the bottom. It works much better. It's a sure proof. It's a sure proof way of doing it. You know, <laughs> my career has been completely back asswards. <laughs> so, Jen, you're supposed you, to save him to the last. <laughs> yeah, right. Was it? So you were San Diego girl. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the family moved there from upstate New York. I moved um, when I was nine. When did you wow. pick up guitar, and why did you pick up guitar? I, I she was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I picked it up when I was eight years old um, because I was, well, two reasons. I was pissed off my sister had a guitar and I didn't. Yeah. 
So it's sheer jealousy and um, the Beatles. Wow. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I remember sitting there watching them on Ed Sullivan. It was the biggest thing in the world. And I lived in a very tiny town, and all of us were into Beatles trading cards and Beatle boots and every record that came out. We'd you know, memorize the LP cover to cover. Cover to cover. Well, two, yeah, all two yeah. covers. <laughs> wow. Cool. Uh, you just do not look old enough to have been around when the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan. I, I don't have a high-res camera for a reason, sir. <laughs> uh, can you give me a? Can you give me? Uh, send me a link to where I can get one. <laughs> Actually, I saw one of your live yeah. things, Jen, and I was blown away how pro you had it all. Uh, you had it dialed in, clearly better than what we do, but you had it all dialed in, and you were you were on it. It's like Corona has not stopped you at all. Dude, I still have PTSD from trying to get OBS online. <laughs> I, I was swimming in tutorials, and I would just crap myself every time it was time to go live. Is this going to work? Because a couple times, it was just sheer hell. Um, Facebook changed their format. Like, It's easy to get on and do live from a phone, but all of a sudden, you know, one week I was able to do it one way, and the next week it just changed. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> Bruce can relate. <laughs> I'm going to need yeah, therapy for quite a while. Fight. I've been fighting that fight for 35 episodes of my show. <laughs> it's always something new. I gave up after about the third one and started recording it so that no matter what Facebook did, I had a good <laughs> recording of it that I could put on YouTube. And that's the, that's the, way, that's the way I do it now. Even though I pay more and more for internet and do all these new things, you know, and occasionally it's gotten better and then it gets worse and you drop out and you restart it and all that shit. And I'm not, I'm, I'm pretty low tech. I'm not very tech savvy, but at least I've got that one camera there that's recording the whole thing. So on YouTube, people can watch it all the way through, you know, and they also watch me melt down screaming and yelling at Mark Zuckerberg. I think I, <laughs> I said, no, I said something about, uh, Oh, yeah, that was because uh, something, it happened during one other guitar player was playing. I said, oh, yeah, you know, it's probably because uh, you didn't, you shoved your guitar up your ass, and everybody had to miss that wonderful move of shoving your guitar up your ass. And the best thing is you found Mark Zuckerberg up there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I can't wonder why they, they keep dropping me now, but, you know. Yeah, they got it in for you. So, Jen, guy Scott. Uh, Jennifer, so, so. When so you're teaching in MI, how do you find out about the Michael Jackson? What was it? An audition? Was it a cattle call kind yeah. of thing? It wasn't a cattle call. Everybody had their slots, but uh, one of one of his right hand guys called MI and said, "Send me two people," and I was one of the lucky ones that got a call. Uh huh. Who yeah, was the man. other one? I don't know. Steve right. Travato. <laughs> <laughs> He was trying to get in. I, I, the story is kind of mangled after all these years. I, I think he, he may have. Uh, I, I was just kidding. I was just thinking because he would be a, a, a funny guy playing with Ma Michael Jackson. It was <laughs> We know it. Oh, yeah. he would look great in sequence. Uh, right, right, right. So, so, so when when you go, you you go audition, you get the gig. And how much rehearsal before it's time to take off on the road? More rehearsal than I've ever done before or since. Uh -huh. Really? Yeah. Um, the first month was a band in one room together, 
dancers in one room, singers in one room, a solid month, at least five days a week. Wow. Uh-huh. And then the second month, we all met up in a, a giant uh, soundstage. And that, that's when the special effects, the pyro, the staging, all that stuff happened. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, you know, I, I was talking about that recently where everybody's had the experience where you're, you're just killing it in your bedroom, right? And on the stage, something happens. You're, you're either freak yourself out mentally or you're not hearing things right. Anything can happen. So I remember thinking I felt great about the show. But I remember the day of the first big show, 50,000 people at the Tokyo Dome. Um, I, I was anxious because I just didn't know how I would feel. Mm-hmm. And honestly, from the first note, because we had done so many repetitions, it just felt second nature. It was awesome. Wow. Mm-hmm. So cool. you got to really enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. You put it like 98% of your being into performance. It was no question about, oh, what's the first chord of the bridge? What's the next song? Nothing like that. Right. Mm-hmm. What? So, so how did, would you how, say, I'm sorry, Troy, go ahead. Yeah, I've got to get this one in. Jen, the audition process, was that, was Michael there or was it just his people? And then what was it like when you got the call? How did you find out that you had the gig? Uh, <laughs> um, the audition was bizarre. I, I asked what songs I should know and I I took a couple days off of everything just to work on the stuff and get the repetitions in. When I went in to play, it was just me and a video camera. There was no band. <laughs> it, it was, and I didn't end up playing any of those songs. I, I just um, the only guidance I was given was to play some funky rhythms, so I did that. Um, then I started soloing, and I, I played the the giant step solo that uh, tapping thing I worked out that ended up on my first record. And I had played the Beat It solo in a cover band, so I thought he might find that useful. So I, <laughs> I finished with that. And I never was told I had the gig. I just got a call a few days later that Michael was interested, come down, work with the band, see how it goes. And I was subbing out my work day after day after day after day. Next thing I knew, I had a passport and a ticket to Tokyo. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, this is looking pretty good. But still, I, I was insecure. I, I didn't know because I wasn't getting feedback from anybody. I just was things seemed to be going okay, and I was working my ass off to make sure I had my shit together. Uh, and then there was a moment in Japan where Michael shut down the Tokyo Disneyland so we could all hang out without people bothering us. And uh, Cheryl Crow and I, she was a background singer. We were both in a, a Disney shop looking at this. Daisy Duck toothbrush holder that was the cool... This is the shit I buy, right? <laughs> you, you push down on Daisy's head and the eyes go back and forth for as long as you're supposed to brush your teeth. So, of course, I bought it. We're sitting there going... Whoa, <laughs> and Michael came up behind me. I didn't know he was anywhere around and he tapped me on the shoulder and he goes, I like how you're playing the Beat It solo. I'm like, job security! <laughs> right. And so wow. when you joined the band... Or during the, I mean, did you know the other musicians or had heard of them or these are complete strangers to you? Complete strangers. And I, I remember the first day I walked into rehearsal, Ricky Lawson was there on drums, um, Don Boyette. And Don was this magnificent being that I just felt like a flannel girl, like <laughs> jeans and t-shirt or whatever the mm-hmm. hell I was wearing. 
He had like a $2,000 suit. He had his hair straight up and purple. You know, and these guys had a resume, all of right, them. Right, right. And so it was, it was pretty intimidating. Like, how the fuck did I get in here? Um, the other guitar player, John Clark, was the only other one that hadn't had a resume this long. And so we consoled each other, you know, and we're still great friends to this day. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a really wonderful experience. Greg Gaines was the musical director. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of stories around when you get the rookie in the band that's at that level that they kick your ass. You know, some, some people have gone through hell. But I'm very lucky that everybody was great to me. It, mm-hmm. A really, really good group of people. Great. So when let me ask you this: when the, the the thing that I wanted to ask you was that musically, did you have much contact with with Michael himself, or was it mainly through the band, the musical director? Did you really like? Did you ever talk to him about like? Did he ever come over to you and say like, "Can you try it a different way or whatever"? Like, was he musically involved? Well, you know what? Um, because we had spent a month as a band together without him, mm-hmm. we had the show nailed by the time we met him. Mm-hmm. So there was no reason for him to to have any direct contact musically with the musicians because it was already no. He he would have the rehearsals uh, videotaped and he would look at them at night and. Mm-hmm. If he wanted to change, it would come through Greg in the morning, and we would have it changed by the time we saw him. Wow. I see. But he wasn't a stranger to you guys. You could talk to him and say hi. And, and Oh, yeah, uh, especially on the bad tour. that That's the most time we had with him. Um, you know, we'd be hanging out all day long, and there'd be plenty of breaks, especially with the special mm-hmm. effects where they're trying to get something to work, and it's not working, so we're mm-hmm. just waiting. And so anybody had access to him at that point. And I remember I was cool. hanging with, I think, John Clark and maybe another person off to the side. And he came over and joined us and wanted to know who had not been to Europe before. And a couple of us said, I've never been there. And he was so thrilled that he could take us there. Because mm-hmm. he said something like, and he was, was it 29 years old at the time? He goes, Man, I've been there so many times, I feel like an old man. Because he started gigging when he was five years old. Wow. Right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. See, that, that totally proves you can't trust what you hear because I heard a rumor that he never talked to the musicians. Not true. You no. Know? So I'm glad to hear that's not true. He's more like a normal cat, and you guys got to hang with him, and that's fun, you know, when you get to hang with the band leader. I mean, it's always been like that for me because, I mean, and in jazz bands, nobody's a star. Everybody's just a, a cat, you know, just like, hey, man, what's up? And all the band leaders I've ever worked with were just so <clears throat> one of the guys. And we're always happy to talk to you and hang out with you, not just give you instructions on what to do. Yeah, I, I, I will say, you. once we got on the road, there were so many people in the entourage, 100 people. Wow. That we were in... We were split up, like the roadies and carpenters and all those that would set up the stage way before we got there. The band, makeup artists, wardrobe in one hotel, and Michael and security were in another hotel. Um, So once we were on the road, there wasn't much hanging, Mm. unless he would do something like shut down the Disneyland, which he did several times. Wow. And a lot of times (laughs) we were out during American holidays, 
So, for instance, he would arrange a Thanksgiving dinner in Japan or Australia or somewhere. So, uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I was actually kind of disappointed that we wouldn't be hanging in the same hotel. And then we got booked in the same hotel and I go, oh, what a pain in the ass this is. He's, he's got like at least 50 people singing Billy Jean at three o'clock in the morning. Outside <laughs> his window. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's probably better you were in your own hotel. <laughs> no kidding. Jen, that was, that Jen, Jen, I remember. I about that. I, I remember yeah. being a kid and seeing you with Michael for the first time on TV and just like, what alien is this girl? Where is she from? Because your look was incredible. Where did, I mean, was that something that uh, it came from being with Michael or did you kind of had that whole vibe coming before that? <laughs> No, I was just a hippie chick with glasses before that happened. And, and actually, I was really lucky that he had a vision instead of looking for a person. I mean, in the 80s, you'd, you'd yeah, see all right. the ads for musicians. Must have hair. Yes. It was all about the hair. I didn't have anything happening. In fact, I, I 20 years later, I got a hold of my audition tape, and I, I was such a nerd. <laughs> anyway, he hired an artist to draw up a look and three different costumes for each performer on stage. Wow. And so then he got the makeup artist to deal with that and the hair and the, you know, buying it blonde. He wanted me to stand out. And I was like a special effect, right? Yeah. Right. And a lot of times the whole stage was dark and you'd see the spotlight on him and then this hair off in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty striking. I'm so like, that gel, was it anything like uh, something about, about Mary or anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're a class. I just class. had to put that in there. Oh, class. <laughs> how, long, class. how long f- before the show, Jen? Did you, like, how long did it take to get ready for each show? Two and a half hours. Wow. Oh, and then you got to walk on straight away or did you have like a break before that and then go on? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, in Japan, the shows are early so people can get on the trains after the show. Um they would start my hair and makeup at seven o'clock in the morning Whoa. and I would go back to bed and I would wake up and the hair was still the same. <laughs> wow. There was so much spray in it, man. It was like a spring loaded. <laughs> wow. But it was, you know, you sent me that, Jennifer sent me a, a, a I guess it's an ad poster. You know, and and it was me and you and I don't know the name of the other guitar player. It was an Asian guy, but it was for Ibanez. And I'm standing there looking like a geek, you know, (laughs) and Jennifer is all decked out and and with the hair and the whole thing, just making me look like a complete dweeb. (laughs) We're going to get a copy of that. I'm like, man, that poster would have been so much better if it was just her. <laughs> I'm going to see if I can find it in oh, my no. phone. You know, I was looking oh, for man, something it's else. Hilarious. It's I, I ran across so it. I was looking for something else uh, recently, and it just popped up. I, I, I mean, what great timing, right? Ah, here we go. Let's see if I can get it. And you're going to send it to us, and we'll put it on our Facebook page. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, it's funny. Look at this. <laughs> oh that's awesome that's brilliant and i notice you're looking down at that dog like that dog yeah. must have been in the photo that was your dog i i used to bring her to all my photo shoots how cute <laughs> oh yeah. my god that's so cool so so now 
how many years did you do the gig? Ten. Ten years. Wow. Yeah, three tours. It was all of his solo tours, Bad, Dangerous, and History from wow. 87 to 97. So when we did our thing for Ibanez, and we were like with the same company, and they were doing things with us together for a little while. Like, remember we played the bowling alley together? You know, everybody's, <laughs> you know. Hey, man, listen, you shouldn't be that jealous of her because she's played with Michael Jackson. She's plays in bowling alleys like me. <laughs> you know, when I play the bowling That's alleys, where the bowling money alleys is. playing too loud. <laughs> I, the thing I remember about the bowling alley gig is I had befriended these two giant bodybuilders that were twins, and I, I hired them to, to uh, take me out on stage on their shoulders while I was playing Flight of the Bumblebee, which in my mind sounded like a good idea. But as they were walking onto the stage, they were getting further and further apart. So my legs were just going, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to forget that gig ever. I mean, that was that was like an Ibanez promotion gig where I guess it was, was, was it Tribal Tech? I guess it had to be because that was the only band I think I was playing in at that point. But it was early tribal tech, like with Joey Heredia on drums and yes. it might have been John Beasley on keyboards. So this was before the Kinsey and Kirk era. And mm. and and we had this gig in the – wasn't it in Orange County someplace over by Nam? Yeah, it was, yeah. I think so, yeah. So we played this bowling alley, which was a big Ibanez event. And then you stayed with Ibanez for a long time, right? Because – Seven years and seven warped necks. And eventually I went to the builders and said, what the fuck? And they, their response was, you just have bad luck with necks. And oh, that dear. was my cue to yeah. jump ship. <laughs> Where did you jump ship to? Washburn. Oh, okay. See, I was with them for not quite as long, for maybe two or three years, because they – my guitar wasn't even really an Ibanez body. It was like some Mace Bailey. Do you remember him? Sure. The yeah. builder. He built this body and it was much bigger than an Ibanez guitar. It was closer to a Fender. And they wanted to make that guitar for the public, but they wouldn't put the the Strat bridge on it. They wanted to put a Floyd Rose on it and, mm. and, and use my name. And, but, and I was going, but I don't play a Floyd Rose. I play like more of like a traditional bridge. And they said, no, but it has to have a Floyd Rose. So that's when I jump ship. <laughs> and then, 80s. Yeah, it's like, bye. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, they were the, one thing that was cool about them is they did really promote their artists. They did ads and, and they did events for us and stuff like that. So in that way, it was a great company. To yeah, be they were really, really strong. I, I, I mean, that's, that's one reason I wanted to be with them because they were, they were launching people into sure. Sure. being known. I mean, yeah, I mean, those I, ads were, I think, $10,000 on the yeah, inside I know. And, and I've never or ever been with a company since that could afford to spend that kind of money on on an ad for me or something like that. You know, I mean, I mean, I'm with Sir now. I'm just happy to have great instruments. I couldn't care less if they do ads. But, you know, that Ibanez monster company and they spend yeah. big money on advertisements for I guess with, for Satriani and Vi and those guys, who, they probably spent millions on those guys. On yeah, ads. no doubt. Yeah, I'm sure. And but it's anyway, kicked off for them. So, so when when 
when we were doing those things for Ibanez and we, you had your own band and you were playing at the bowling alley, were you still with Michael during that time? Um, I think that was after the bad tour and between tours, I, I never even expected that I'd get called back. I, I thought they just got fresh faces every time. So uh-huh. I got called back in 92 for the dangerous tour and then again, I didn't know what he was doing after that. And then the history tour in 97 happened. And yeah. then, then when he announced this is it, I had flown uh, to Heathrow. And I was a long layover. And I went and got a cappuccino in a coffee shop. And he came on the TV and announced this is it tour. And then I thought, cha-ching, I'm in. Guess what? He got <laughs> he got a woman half my age. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I don't remember anything about that band. I think I think after you were gone, his career was over. <laughs> See what happened? <laughs> he just had to call it a day after you left. That's all there is to it. <laughs> Wasn't the woman that was half half your age that was the problem though? It was uh <laughs> Some other people a lot younger than that. I guess. Yeah, <laughs> don't even. Yeah, don't, yeah, don't even go there. Okay. So, anyway, um, so so in any, that answers my question. So when we were doing that Ibanez stuff, you were like between tours with him. Yes. Okay. All yeah. right. Wow. And then and then when did you like uh, when did you start like really seriously going for your own thing and your own doing your own records and and you know having your own band was it was it- prior to to the jackson tour um i had done three demos with michael Sambello. uh-huh and they were shopping that and then the then the tour happened for a year and a half and so obviously that went on hold that goes on hold right yeah, and I continued to record after the tour, and it, it just took forever because, you know, guitar records are shit budgets compared to everybody else. In fact, at the, at the time I was doing my record, um, do you remember Rico Suave? Mm. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Gerardo was recording with him in all the daylight hours, and then I got the shit hours. Like, I never started be- before 2 or 3 in the morning. Uh-huh. And I, I, I was like a heroin addict. I put... Uh, um, <laughs> aluminum foil on my windows so I could sleep during the day because it was uh-huh. just killing me. The hours just sucked. Wow. And was Relativity the first label that got interested in you? Yeah. Yeah. I I met with Cliff a couple with times. Cliff, right. Yeah. And there was, it's, it's a long, wacky story, but basically Cimbello's camp and Cliff didn't see eye to eye. So I ended up on a, um, a much lesser label. You know what? We were on, we were only on relativity for one album and that's it. And then, and, and they bought our, we, they did our fourth album and then they bought our first three albums. And so we thought, Oh, we're going to, we have a home for a while. And then after the fourth album came out, they, we got a letter that said, uh, the album didn't do quite as well as mm. we thought, so we're gonna have to drop you. So was, <laughs> Ouch! It was a one and only deal. And then the bad thing is that about I don't know how many years later they turned into a rap label. Exactly. Yeah. And then they wouldn't sell us those four records back, so now oh. they're completely out of print. And oh. and they're out of print, and they won't sell them to us. So. 
and I, I never really understood like why wouldn't you sell why wouldn't you sell somebody something if you don't plan to use it? Why not just sell it? Yeah, I think some won't. of them I think they, they sit on it to see if you become super huge and then it's worth a, a lot. Well, more I part. did, but they still didn't want <laughs> 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 That didn't come out right. No, that just didn't work. <laughs> but I, I, I was as just big thinking, as I can get. <laughs> I was just thinking, I, I had a, um, a book on tapping that Roger Hutchinson put out and then they sold it to Hal Leonard and I tried to buy that back. And same thing, they wouldn't do it, but yeah. they don't put it out. What? So, yeah. It's weird. I when mean, I think they just, it's their thing that they just don't believe in selling their shit. They just hang on to it no matter what. And that's their policy. It's part so, of their real estate. Yeah, I guess. I guess. So J- after, after Michael Jackson thing was over, what's the next thing you did after that? You know, it. I, I should really look up chronologically how long it was, but... I was so burnt out from touring after that. It was, I want to say, four months when Jeff Beck called me up. Wow. That little of time went by. I think so. I could be tripping wow. because I'm, uh, you know, I'm a lot older than you think. <laughs> you- but, it, yeah, it seems like it was pretty quick. And I remember the first conversation, uh, I said, man, I... I was so burnt out. I was thinking of getting out of the music business. And he goes, well, can you wait? <laughs> <laughs> I saw you play at the amphitheater with him in L.A. And it was such a good show. And mm. uh, it was really, he was really on that night. And you were amazing. I mean, oh, thank you so much. I was so impressed. You did such a fantastic job that it was just, I'm as blown away. Wow, I mean, thank you. By the, by the whole show. It was so great, and I have never heard anyone play synth on guitar where there wasn't. It's it just seemed like impossible what you were doing because I've I've I had toyed with synth guitar some you know during Tribal Tech, and um and even in Zawinul's band he asked me to play some synth sounds because he wanted horns. He wanted he always wanted horns. All right, and you know I had a sampler and I could do pretty good sounding trumpets and bear and trombones and saxophones and stuff like that. And they said they were real sounding. Yeah. And, um, but I never could, the tracking thing was always very elusive for me. And for you, you just nailed it. I mean, I don't oh. know anyone that's nailed it more than you. So, cause oh, you're playing like, I mean, you sounded like a guy with three keyboard tiers, <laughs> you know, well. seriously. I mean, it was amazing. The sounds you were making. Oh, thank you Incredible. so much. I'm glad this is recorded. I'm going to loop this part. <laughs> no, no, this is really, it was beautiful, man. I was so impressed, and I just thought, you did such a great job. And then he gave you some solos, and you were kicking ass on your solos, and I thought, wow, I know her. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? It was a serious trial by fire. I, I had worked with it. In fact, I, I remember I went into Guitar Center one time, to buy a new strap and walked out with a whole synth system. That's <laughs> impulse shopping. And I never read the manual. It's just I got sounds and kind of toyed with it. But all of a sudden, when God calls you, it's like, oh, shit. I not only have to read the manual, but I, I needed to get a tech to help me to with the MIDI programming and to kind of help me kickstart getting it to the next level. Was Did Jeff Becker ask for that? Was that a Pacific ask? No. 
He didn't. It? He's he's one of those guys where a leap in the net will appear. He just gets an idea, and uh, I, by the by the time he had called me, I had met him previously, and he had two of my CDs at that point. And he just goes, "Okay, I want to do something new. You're in the band, kind of thing." <laughs> and I thought, I, I, I. I actually I told no one because I thought there's a chance I don't know him very well and there's a chance that he's completely nuts <laughs> you know <laughs> and like how can you have faith in someone you've never played a note with mm-hmm. just from the records so I actually learned most of the guitar shop record and I I went to Italy to do a a techno session and while I was on that side of the pond I booked myself to England just to play guitar shop in his presence, like making an audition for myself, just to make sure that he wasn't a lunatic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, obviously it worked out. I did a couple records and um, toured with him for three years, which was heavenly. And it was your idea to, to, to add the synth thing oh, sorry, to, yeah. to the show. Yeah, okay, so... I tend to go off in tangents a no, lot. That's all right. You're, uh, you're, you're a musician. You, you have ADHD, <laughs> like we all oh, do. Oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> I've got, well, I've got ABA. <laughs> uh, okay, so aside from that, when I flew over, he put together two days in uh, SIR in New York, and that original band was going to be Terry Bozio, Tony Levin, and me and Jeff. Mm-hmm. And I went in, I went in there and I was, I didn't know there wasn't going to be a keyboard player. I thought that how the hell can we do 30 years of blow by blow and wired and all that stuff with Jan Hammer and, um, uh, God, I'm spacing on the blow by blow keyboard, Max Middleton, Max Middleton. Yeah. And Tony Hymas. I, I can't get those sounds on guitar. It's going to sound weenie. So mm-hmm. right after that, I ended up going to the Frankfurt show for the first time and hooking up with a, a company called Axon that at that time they had the fastest triggering guitar synth in the world. So I go, great. Well, perfect timing. And I got it home and I started working and I go, yeah, the triggering is pretty good, but the sounds suck. <laughs> so, so I started using that as an engine and got uh, Roland uh, 1080s for sounds. Mm-hmm. And now I got the great sounds. I got the fast triggering, except the two, didn't talk to each other. Oh, well. I'd be nice. playing a C chord and getting a sharp nine, flat five coming out. You know, nice. like, yeah. I mean, it's Jeff would look around like somebody farted. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I relate to that because that's how that whole experience was to me. Like I would try to get, I would try to write with MIDI. <clears throat> And play MIDI into the computer. I'd play a C chord, and then I'd open up the the, the notation window, and there'd be like fifteen other notes in there right? with, with it. And yeah. I go, "How do you stop that from happening?" Well, one thing I did was to go to super heavy strings because they'd be more stable. Mm-hmm. And like a, I want to say a week before we took off, I I switched to all Roland gear, so it was slower, but it was way more reliable, and I. I did very little single note stuff with that. It was all mm-hmm. pads, except for um, Savoy. There was there was a chordal horn thing, mm-hmm. and I had to be so on top of the beat to to make it in time. I, so there was a <laughs> lag. Oh sure, back then. I mean that was over twenty uh-huh. years ago. 
Yeah. So did you play those chords with your fingers or did you did you usually play with the chords like hitting all the strings at once with your fingers so it would be more keyboard like? Um well, I don't remember. I, I would my first response would be a, a pick. I, I don't remember. Because I mean, to me, like thing. if I closed my eyes, I would swear there was a keyboard player on the stage. That's how amazing and authentic it sounded to my. Wow! Opinion. Thank you like, so much. I would never guess that that was coming from a guitar in a million years. It just. I worked really hard on the sounds and and layering them. I, in fact, I had a rack with three JV ten eighties in them, wow. and I I had a ridiculous amount of shit under my feet because I, I had you know MIDI switcher for guitar and a wah wah and a whammy pedal and a volume pedal and then on the other side, MIDI switcher for the the synth stuff and two volume pedals so I could bring in a second sound. <laughs> and Jeff looks over at rehearsal one day and he goes, he said something like he's jealous of all the gear I had. And he goes, look, I brought a new pedal. I'm building a pedal garden. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. He's pretty old school. Yeah. Now, I don't see him playing through a lot of tech shit and racks and all that crap he's a pretty old school cat <laughs> well you know i remember one one interview i read with him where he was talking about he got one of the super early synths and he used it on a gig in spain where you know soundcheck was fine and the sun beat down on that for the next three hours and when he went to play it for real it was just hopeless <laughs> <laughs> what what kind of a, what kind of a guy is jeff like is he he seems like a pretty cool hang kind of a dude is he pretty pulled back and private and he's so much fun there are a few different personalities you know yeah, yeah. after the gig when the pressure's off he is a party it, it just Oh, God, we drank champagne every night after the show. Um, and then uh, nights off, we'd go to the bar. I mean, after those three years, my liver was just going, thank you. <laughs> but um, he, can, he can be uh, really quiet, too, uh, especially when he's gearing up for a show and he's, you know, trying to get his show head together and being very shut down and internal. And I will never forget one time, it was for, God, I want to say his 58th birthday. I was at his house, and I went off with him in his Corvette, which he drives like fucking Batman. <laughs> if nobody's in front of him. He's like, <laughs> and, I, and I figured, well, if I'm going to die, it's a pretty cool way to go. But um, So we went to the liquor store to pick up a bunch of booze for the party, and I kept scanning my brain of subjects to talk about. I'd bring up something, and it would just die flat. Bring up something. I mean, it was a torturous ride, and I will never forget, because when we came back to his house or on the way back, he goes, you're quiet today. <laughs> <laughs> but back to the parties, man. I, I did send your T-shirt today, Scott. Oh, thanks. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah, I got a T-shirt with somebody's butt on fire with a big flame coming out of their asshole. <laughs> Thanks to my pal, Jennifer. <laughs> I, I, I'll explain that a little bit. There, there actually is no... It, it's a little tamer than that, but there are flames. <laughs> but um, one, one night after the gig, we, we went to... Uh, we were hanging out in a bar lounge, 
and one of the the sound engineer started doing arm farts like <laughs> like that and so it became a thing for the rest of the night we we're trying to outdo each other and then it became a thing every single night after the show where we had our watches out and we would time each other how long you could do it without laughing <laughs> we would i mean all of us that's exactly i mean after the show that was the thing okay the show's done get out the timers and i you know, I'm sure my mother would be proud that after, oh, maybe two months of doing this every night, I was the band winner at 45 seconds. Thank you. <laughs> Yay. Yay. <laughs> We're all proud. <laughs> I thought you would be. <laughs> and you know what was really remarkable? You hear about the, the pearl divers that can be underwater for like five minutes or something. It's amazing if you do try it, try it. everybody out there watching this, try it every night and see how your lungs can hold more air. It, mm. it, 45 seconds is ridiculous. That's pretty amazing. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so th is this what made you all Tilton fans? How did that happen? <laughs> oh, well, I, I'll say Jeff is a big comedy fan and he's got an incredible sense of humor. All of his friends are comedians. You know, um, we turn each other on to comedians. Like when Richard Jenny came out, that, that was the thing for a while. Um, yeah, I don't know how Tilden came about, but probably from the arm farting. You know, and that, that evolved to whoopee cushions. And then I found <laughs> whoopee cushions that were self-filling. They had foam in them. Uh -huh. Wow. So you don't even have to work at it. You're just like... Oh, <laughs> great. <laughs> Perfect. And then when we broke those... Because we do that every night after the show. Uh, I remember I was really jet lagged, probably in Japan or somewhere. I was up in the middle of the night. So what do you do? You dial up farts.com, see what they got. Right. Of course. So I got I got everybody in the band and crew, these these plastic cups full of putty that, oh, they're just awesome. You just, <laughs> you know, the next time is going to be better. <laughs> well, I enjoyed your tune that you sent me. What's the name of the tune? Inner Journey. Inner Journey. And this <laughs> tune that she sent me has a lot of bodily function sounds in the tune. And so, you know, and I told her, I had a really big breakfast the morning I listened to it. So it was a really appropriate listening. So it was great. But I, I, I told you that uh, the true story, like I've been a Tilton fan forever. And, but my guys who my bass player and drummer that I play with, they they're French. They live in Paris. They'd never seen him. So we were on the road in Italy and we had a stop. And I said, you know, I wonder if these guys would even like this. And I pulled out my computer and started playing them Tilton and they became huge fans, so much so that the bass player now has his own YouTube channel dedicated to Tilton with all his videos. And he even friended him on Facebook. Wow. The actual Robert Tilton, he Facebook friended him. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's people, amazing. For your audience that may not know who that is, he's, he's a, a, a preacher that really evangel and evangelical preacher that really goes over the top with the uh what do you call it just the movements like oh, the lord come through me and just ridiculous shit and somebody put in the most incredible fart noises that oh, you know they studied him and did it's the most appropriate ones. 
They're masterpieces. <laughs> I mean, not only the farts and the wide variety of farts, but the perfect placement. Yes. Because because Tilton leaves a lot of space. Yeah. He'll say, praise Jesus, and then... And when Jesus comes for and and sometimes they'll use that space and there will be no fart. And then as soon as he starts talking again, that's when the fart comes. And it, it's just so beautifully timed and executed and put together. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just brilliant. It's you got to send me that link. I need to have that. Oh, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll post it. We'll post it. You can watch everyone ever made. <laughs> There's like at least 50 of them. Well, we, there was a brilliant compilation that we watched every night after the shows in Japan that we would just go back to Jeff's room with the, the champagne and watch Tilden and just cry laughing every single night. <laughs> so, Jennifer, let me ask you this. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to talk too much about Jeff because we want to talk about you. But Jeff seems like to me when I every, every time I've seen him or seen him play, I've seen him play three or four times. And, you know, he has a very strong air of confidence on stage. You know, you feel like he's really ruling the stage. And you feel like that he's up there knowing that every note he plays is is worth something. You know, I feel that. You know, I feel like he has a lot of confidence. But at the same time, I feel like he's just like the rest of us getting off stage and being highly critical of himself. Sometimes, or I read an article where he was criticizing Steve Lukather because Lukather was kind of really praising him in the studio. And Jeff was saying, I don't want somebody to praise me. I want somebody to tell me that I can do better and that, you know, that kind of sucked. You you got better. Do, do better. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it sounds like he also had a self-critical side. Sure. And I also remember him saying something in an interview that when he would be in there overdubbing, and and trying things and trying things and he would throw a million things in the trash and he would say i'm not going to use it unless it's sick yeah yeah yeah. if it's not sick i'm not going to use it you know and i go boy can i relate to that because when i'm overdubbing i don't want it to sound like me i want it to sound better than me like i want it to sound something like i've never heard from myself before and that's why I throw so much shit away and only keep a little bit of it because if it's something that doesn't impress me, I'm not going to keep it. And I feel like he must feel that way because the shit that he records is so badass. <laughs> he must be have a self-critical nature. Am, am I right about well, he that? Does, he does. And, and that's why he, he doesn't want to repeat himself. That's why he's so adventurous. He'll do a rockabilly record. And then the, the, the last record with the girls doing a, a vocal mm-hmm. record. And mm-hmm. he's always searching and always listening. He, I tell people he will listen to the Spice Girls and Ornette Coleman in the same day. Mm-hmm. And he will listen to stuff that I would never listen to. But he'll pick out something like the EQ on the snare. Mm-hmm. You know, something that just would have gone past right. me. It's some really out stuff, but he's he's a super sensitive guy, and because of that, he gets deep, deep, deep into what he's listening to and re- really can glean the most subtle things from it. I remember one gig, I, I thought he was incredibly consistent the whole time I was playing with him, but I remember one gig, uh, we went off stage before Encore, 
And he was so upset. He just goes, I'm playing like a wanker. <laughs> <laughs> a guitar wanker. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> he must have heard our show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He can hear into the he can hear into the future. I'm telling you, that guy can hear into the future. <laughs> wow. And a happy new year to you. It's a rainy January 1st, 2010. Roscoe's House of Chicken and Waffles. President Eastwood sends more troops. In my country, you would never do that in public. Use headbanging air spray. For the ultimate hole. Atlantis has been rediscovered. Berlin Wall has been torn down a second time. Chocolate George Kent. Still coming to you illegally from our mobile station somewhere in LA. KJ, the only jazz station left in the country since the BMRC bandits two years ago. Catch us if you can. A fraudulent one nighter just carved into the chart. Help with the definite confirmation signing of the mobile jazz unit found in Coldwater Canyon and Old Town Mountain. Please send three unicorn cover units in a jelly and a glide. What a, yeah. That must have been pretty amazing. Jen, I remember you, well, obviously, but when did the tapping become a big part of your playing? When did that you fall into that? Oh, God, it was because of GIT and not any of the teachers that were there. I mean, it was really a young technique at the time. Van Halen was just starting to climb and wasn't that well known. But uh, one of my, well, we, we used to get a seminar every month by different people. Pat Matheny, Lee Rittenauer came, just you name it, um, just uh, really heavy monsters. And one month it was Emmett Chapman who invented the Chapman stick. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're just a bunch of guitar players. This stick guy is here and 59 of us are going, okay. <laughs> You know, it's really cool, but we're not going to buy one and have right. to learn a whole new tuning and all that. Right. Well, that planted a, a seed in Steve Lynch's head, who was in my class. He ended up in a band called Autograph. Oh, Lynch, sure, of course. Sure, yeah. yeah. Or so, was it George Lynch? No, no, no. Steve. Which one is Steve Lynch and which one is George Lynch? George was in a band called Dawkin. And Steve was in a band called Autograph that had a, a hit called Turn Up the Radio. Yeah. And which one was the one that tapped a lot? That was Steve. Okay, that was Steve Lynch. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. We used to call him Jazz on 10 because he was he was the rock guy. All of us were trying to be George Benson, and he's the rock guy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I, it, during the year, we, we had to transcribe uh, a tune and solo and play it live. And he did because we ended as lovers. And I mean, I was super into Jeff before that, but just to hear him nail that was like, oh my God, I don't want to play jazz anymore. I want that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Anyway, he, he was started experimenting with tapping, and I would check in with him every once in a while and see what he was doing, and i go, man, it sounded so fresh, but GIT was so intense that there wasn't any free time to, to learn something extracurricular. So as soon as the graduation was done, I wrote to him, because I moved back to San Diego, and I said, man, can you send me stuff, audio of what you're working on? And he had three demos at the time on cassette, and I started learning them, and I only knew to use one finger, so I was trying to tap and ended up with a blister, and it sounded like hell. <laughs> so I drove up to L.A. to take a lesson with him, and that's when I learned like the, the basic thinking behind what he was doing. Mm -hmm. And that was enough to just set me off and go, okay, I'm in it now. And then mm -hmm. it blisters on all my fingers. <laughs> we were just taught. We had Brett Garset on the show uh, a, a few months ago, and we were talking about TJ. You know yeah. TJ, right? Sure, yeah. Another great, you know, guy with the two hand thing has a lot of really cool vocabulary. Very advanced, yeah. Yeah, really advanced. So you know, it, but I remember when being you at MI when you were our GIT and you were doing the giant steps tapping thing, and it was amazing. Oh, yeah. And everybody was just like, oh, you got to hear her play Giant Steps because you'll never hear anybody play it like that. <laughs> it's like incredible. Really, really unique and different. It was so much fun to hear you play that. Well, you know, that, that whole thing was worked out. And I, I had the chords last twice as long as they normally do. Mm -hmm. And I remember one time Joe Pass was there with his, his bass player and they were just checking in with different rooms. And somebody said, play Giant Steps for Joe. And I'm great. So I played it, and I think it was his bass player. I don't think it was Joe. It said something like, yeah, the chords last a week. <laughs> <laughs> These jazz guys are such nice people, aren't they? You know what Joe said about me? He did an interview. I used to play with him all the time with Jeff Berlin when I was a student. And, wow. And and they, all the time. In fact, I used to teach his kid guitar lessons and they did an interview with him in the Los Angeles Times. And they, he said, are, are there any up and coming, you know, jazz guys that you like that you've heard students or young guys? And he said, well, this Scott Henderson kid is pretty good. He's one of those guys that plays a kind of music where you don't know where the hell the melody is. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, said, thanks, Joe. <laughs> he was the salty character. <laughs> yeah. He really was, man. The salty dog. <laughs> Damn. Awesome. So, so you think that's why, like, you know, because I noticed that too, like Jeff changes up his, his bands often because he's really trying to go for new shit all yes. the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he wants to be fired up. He's, yeah. he's got a voracious appetite. He always thinks if he's got that one more groove or that one more song, it'll make the album great. And he, he drives his managers crazy because once he has enough tunes for a record, then he finds reasons why one song isn't good enough. And he mm -hmm. just doesn't want to make that step of putting it out. In fact, on Blow by Blow, he replaced, I, I think Carmine was the first drummer. He replaced all the drums and mm -hmm. he was driving his managers crazy. And then he wanted to replace all the bass and mm -hmm. his managers secretly took the record away from him and they put it out and they called up and said, hey, your record's a hit. 
Uh, <laughs> That's whether you story. like it or not, right? So, so were you involved with him during the period where David Torn was working a lot with him and producing the records? No, I remember him talking about him. That must have been right after my. Yeah, era. I think it was after because it, David Torn did a few of the records, and I mean, nothing gets David Torn because he's a great producer you know and he has a a lot amazing palette of sounds and stuff you know but it sort of felt like that jeff probably came into the to the to the studio played a bunch of stuff over maybe some backing tracks or maybe some drum tracks or whatever and then david torn just took what he played and looped it and did all kinds of stuff with it and and then i remember reading an article where jeff said he didn't really like those records that much Maybe because he wasn't involved in them as much, because he wasn't as much part of the production as, as as David was. I don't really know. I'm just guessing. But I don't you know, remember any of that stuff being released. Uh, maybe I'm out yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. David Torn is. I think there was a few albums where David Torn is the is the. They're produced by David, you know, and huh. some some of them may have been the ones where Lukather might have been involved too for a little. Oh, while. okay. I'm not really sure to tell you the truth. But anyway, forget that. After Jeff, what happened? Well, you know what? It's kind of fun talking about Jeff because I've done so many interviews where people just want to talk about Michael. You know, <laughs> so I hardly ever talk about Jeff. Well, we're guitar players, so, you know, we're, Jeff Beck has always been a hero. I mean, when, you, when, when I think about him, I don't even uh, forget about the music. He's when you think about all the guitar players of his generation, every yeah. single one of them is either a shell of what they used to be because of drug abuse or alcohol use, yeah. abuse, or they're dead. And Jeff is really the only guy of his generation yep. who kept improving is improving to this day. Yeah. So yeah. how can you not respect that? Mm. Oh, for you know, sure. I mean, it's amazing. The guy is in his seventies, and the guy is still improving. And I mean, for a jazz guitar player, that's not really all that unusual. But for a rock guitar player, that's very unusual because most of the rock Albert players. Get, pretty good. What's I that? Heard, I heard Albert Lee fairly recently, and he's he's really inspiring yeah. still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Albert Lee is another guy that's keeps getting better, and and, and Tommy Emmanuel, and and there's there's oh, a lot of. Busy different generation tommy's way younger than them okay yeah. right 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 but you know when you think about all those guys you know richie blackmore jimmy page jimmy hendrix johnny winter all those cats none of them play like they used to and and, and not, i'm not trying to be a mean person i'm just saying jeff has yeah is, yeah is so not, it's he's playing better than he did back then it's amazing always searching for inspiration yeah, for sure. And I really yeah. respect that. I really respect that. I, I really do. There, there was a lot I got from just hanging out with him, just listening to music on the bus. And I was with him when we were doing the records. And, you know, so many times I would think, you really don't need another guitar player with a Jeff Beck record. And what am I even doing here? <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I played a little on it, but invariably, I, I'd be there six hours, seven hours in the studio, and then every day there would be this little slice of magic or some opinion about the tracks that he was thinking about. And I go, ah, 
that's why I was here today. Mm. Like this total Zen stuff. One time he said, you know, if the drums are grooving, you really don't need much else. Most guitar players would be going, yeah, you do. You need all these notes and then more notes. And then the next track needs some more notes. <laughs> well, you know, he's the king of, of, of using space in yeah. rock guitar. I mean, he really is. There's nobody that uses space better than him. There's nobody that phrases better than him, period, when yeah. it comes to rock guitar. And uh, you know, I, I, my friend Scott Kinsey, who's a wonderful musician, uh, listened to Jeff Beck many times. I would play stuff in the van. He just didn't seem to get it. Yeah. Know? But he was there at that show at the amphitheater with, with okay. you. And he came out of that show going, I get it. I, okay. I, 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 he, he came out and he just said, I've just heard one of the world's greatest phrasers. It's like I it's like I just saw Miles Davis. Uh-huh. And 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 I go, well, finally you fucking get it. You know, because he didn't before. And I don't know why he didn't get that from listening to the records, but that is exactly how I feel when I listen to him play. It's like hearing one of the world's greatest phrasers, as good as Miles or anybody else, you know? And and shit. <laughs> I remember one time at rehearsal. Kick it! 